If you have your Bibles, open them up. We are ready for 1 John chapter 5. We have been in an eight-week series in 1 John, as you know. So um, for those of you who have been here for the last eight weeks, it's going to uh, get a little redundant. But only in the spirit of John, as John, as you know, he, he keeps it really simple in 1 John. Now, one of the things that I, I think that we tried to do as we approach this series, and one of the things that you can do as you study the Bible, as you read the Bible, is try to take it from the perspective of the author. Like the author had a heart in this message. And maybe sometimes we, we read the words and we get kind of lost in, in, in what he's saying. But if we read the whole book of John, and I asked you guys since we started this series to stay in John and read it all five chapters at least once a week. We started at five times a week and then we went to, to once a week just to go through it. Because what we were hoping to accomplish was for us to catch a little deeper meaning and catch it from the perspective of what was Grandpa John trying to communicate to the church in Ephesus that he wrote this letter to, and and what is he trying to communicate to us today? And what we come to, what you find is that John just had a passion for us, for you, for me, to know the Jesus that he knew. He wanted us to experience God. What, What if I said this morning, God is in this place? I feel the Holy Spirit. No, I'm just kidding. But, but just the wrong church for that. But this Maybe, maybe we need to start feeling the Holy Spirit. But um, theologically, doctrinally, biblically, right? Jesus, is he in this place? I mean, the Bible says, right, that where two or three or more gathered, that I'm there. And that, and that as we come this morning, it's always my heart since the day we started this church, is that, is that people would know the Jesus that we know. That people would experience the Jesus that I've experienced. And all the theological learning and all of the doctrinal, um, you know, hierarchy stuff is never going to change anybody's heart until they know Jesus and they hear it from his voice. The most profound, powerful words you will ever hear in your life from the lips of Jesus to your heart are, I love you. And when you hear that, when you know that, it will absolutely radically change your life. And that's not something that I, I, I mean, I love you. I don't need no theological and I don't need a, a doctrinal degree or any other kind of um, to tell you that Jesus loves you. But in, when Jesus himself tells you, it changes everything. And John, he, he wants you to experience that. He wants you to know that Jesus, that he knew like he knew him. And then as we get to know this Jesus, we have relationship with him. He, he begins to change our life and he begins to give us victory and he begins to do things that only he can do. And so as we get into chapter five, you know, it's crazy because John is very redundant. And I've been sharing through this series that if there was anybody that could blow us away with some deep theology, it would have been Grandpa John. I mean, this guy had it, right? And yet he doesn't. He only uses 305 vocabulary words in the gospel in the four, in the four or five chapters of First John. And, and, and it's the same stuff. When I read stuff, I'm like, you know, like you read sometimes and you're not sure if you skipped the line or read the same line twice. Like sometimes I'm reading through it and I think, oh, did I, did I not go down a line? So I put my finger on it and I'm like, oh yeah, he just said the same thing just over and over again. And so we're going to get some more of that in chapter 5. One of the reasons, or I told you guys each week that we're going to go through the reasons why 
um, John wrote this book to us. Because I want you guys to learn these. I want you to have them on your heart. We're done now. This is the last week of the series. So um, you should know them by now. God should have quickened them to your heart. The first one is, uh, these things we write to you that your joy may be. So is all your joy full? Are you guys just full of joy, joy? I am. <laughs> That's right. We should have the worship team come back up, have the kids come out. I got joy, joy in my heart. Um, we, we talked about joy, right? And that joy is deeper than, than happiness. Our happiness comes and goes, but joy comes from that relationship with Jesus. Joy is something that the world can never take from you. Your circumstance can't take from you. And, and, and joy is something that God wants to and will work in every one of our hearts. And that's one of the reasons why John writes. The next thing he says, these things we write that you may not. So you guys are all stopped sinning since we started this. You're full of joy. You stop sinning. Wow, this is a good series. The next one is that you be not, you be not what? Okay, that's a nail we hammered last week. That was last week's message, and you can get the tape if you missed it. But um, just that John doesn't want us to be deceived, and that we have no excuse if we're deceived. We're not going to stand before God one day with the excuse that, that we tried to follow him, we tried to know him, we tried to find out what was true, but, but Pastor Chris deceived me, and that's why I should get into heaven, because I tried, but I was deceived. And, and that, that John writes that you be not deceived, and there is a responsibility, there's an onus that God puts on every one of us to seek him through his word, to know him, to find out truth. And, and one of the, the, the biggest and most successful plans of Satan is just to saturate everything with, with lies and falsehood. So the truth is this narrow line. And, and rather than Satan take that line and just try to, um, you know, twist it, he just puts so many stuff around it and so many lies and so many things in the world. And that's why there's a billion, million different things out there to believe because Satan has just saturated from, from Genesis all the way to Revelation with lies. And sometimes we feel like, how do I know what's true? You know, one of the, one of the questions I get as a pastor more often than not, well, Pastor Chris, you say this, the Jehovah Witnesses say this, the LDS say this, the Catholics say this, the Muslims say this, the Buddhists say this, the Hare Krishnas do this, Hare Krishna. The, how do I know, how do I know which one is true? And it's a tough question, right? It's, 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 a, it's an honest question. And if you're just out there in the world, you don't know Jesus, you didn't go up Christian, you don't, you don't have maybe a background that maybe some, some church people do, that, that's an honest question. How, how do I know what's true? And, and, and it's been an attack of Satan just to saturate what's true with all kinds of lies so it's hard to find out the truth. But I want to tell you, for those of you that, that know the word, you've been here in church, John says he writes so that you will not be deceived. And the answer is in the word of God. I'm not afraid of anything that you're going to find just by reading the word. There's no doctrine in our church or belief system in our church that you need apart from what you're going to read and find in God's word. And, and, and you don't need a man to tell you. You don't need someone to explain it to you. You can read it. You can understand it. There's a function in the church of teaching and, and of exhorting. And, and that's a function. And this is the way the early church functions so that we sharpen each other and we come together. But I'm not here to bring you new revelation or teach you something you can't find out for yourself in the word. We're here to love one another. We're here to fellowship with one another. We're here to break bread and, and, and come together and be filled up as we go out into that mad, cruel world. Right as Jesus said, I send you out as sheep among wolves. Never understood why Jesus did that to us. That's not nice. 
you know. But, but he did. He sent us out as sheep among wolves. And, 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 and church is a place where we come together. But not, not so that you get new revelation. And again, we, we have a responsibility, as John tells us, not to be deceived. So be in the word. And then the last one is the one we're going to, the last nail we're going to hammer in this series is today. He says in chapter 5 and verse 13, these things we write that you know you have. Okay, John wants you to know that you have eternal life. What does that mean, eternal life? Living forever? Doesn't everybody live forever? Doesn't everybody have life beyond this world? So you're right. That's what it means. But here, here's, here's the reality, right? Um, we, everybody, if you were born in, 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 of water and, and God breathed into you a life, the, the Bible teaches that you're going to live forever. You're going to have eternal life. So this one, I just want to make sure we understand what John is saying. That, that you're going to go to heaven is what he's saying, right? Because we, we all have, we're all going to live forever, whether that's heaven or hell. You're going to live forever. You're created. Your being is created. Your soul will live forever. And John says, I w- I'm writing so that you might know that you're going to go to heaven. That you might know that you're going to have eternal life. So if I asked each one of you guys, if you died today, if you walked outside this church and that big yellow bus just came down the road and ran you right over, and that was it. You breathed your last, choked on your last hot wing, chicken bone, and you went home to be with the Lord, and you died today, would you go to heaven? And if your answer is, I hope so. I think so. I, I hope I did enough. I think I'm going to heaven. That, that, that's, that's not a good answer. And, and Grandpa John here sets us down as his grandkids. And he says, hey guys, look, I'm writing so that you can know that you know you know you're saved. And, and for us, for Christians, for, for those that know Jesus... We don't have a theology. We don't have a God. We don't have a doctrine that says, I, 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 I won't know until I die. I, and until then, man, I hope I pass out enough tracts. I hope I write enough checks to that church. I hope I attend enough services and do enough this and do enough that to earn this salvation. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that it's this amazing free gift that's going to totally blow your mind as we get into this study today. It, it's something that you're just, you just, we just don't get. So the last reason, so let's look at it. So that's the one, that's the nail we're hammering today is so that you know that you know that you know you're saved. And so I'm going to give you an opportunity in this message to get saved, to give your life, to give your, to get your heart right with Jesus. And then if you have your heart and your life right with Jesus and you came in this morning and you did that on March of, of, 1994 and now you're just walking with christ just encourage us in our in our relationship and our growing and and then in our sharing this faith with other people it's not just good enough that we have it we we need to have a passion to share it with other people okay it says in chapter 5 verse 1 whoever believes that jesus is christ is the messiah or the christ the word is synonymous the same word whoever believes that jesus is the messiah is born of god and everyone who loves him capital h who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. Who begat? God begat, God the Father, and who was begotten? Jesus. His, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So right there in the crux of Christianity, John 3.16, it says, For whosoever, what? 
believes in the name of, the, of, of God shall have everlasting life. Does it say whoever earns it? Does it say whoever um, does enough? Whoever has enough faith? Whoever pays their tithes? Is there any qualification to believe there? It says whoever believes on the... And, the, and, and don't forget the who, whoever part. That's the part we don't like so much, the whosoever. Whosoever believes on the name of the Lord Jesus shall be saved. And so the, the, the idea of belief, now it's, it's crazy that, you know, we, we always have to defend this, that the gospel is this simple. People just tweak somehow, you know, like, you no, know, you got to do something, right? And it's natural. It's human nature. It's human nature in the way that God has created us. You know, the Bible says in, in, um, in the Proverbs, the wisest man through the divining of the Holy Spirit says that if you don't correct your children, that you hate them. The Bible says, spare the rod and spoil the child. That's not a commandment. You should spare the rod and then spoil the child. No, we had enough of that. The Bible says, if you spare the rod, as a result, you will spoil the child. Because why? There's, There's something that happens in disciplining our children that God created within our conscience to, to deliver us from, from this feeling of guilt. And so sometimes just a little spanking on the leg or on the butt and it, it does something. And rather than go to your room and stay there, I'm mad at you, you're in trouble, and then come back and it's like there, nothing is ever resolved. And so God has created within that little thing a, a, a finalization that makes you feel like, okay, you, you got it, it's over, now come to the table, let's reconnect. It's done, it's behind us. Because there's something in our human nature that in our conscience, you know, you know why mass murderers get caught all the time? Because so, they want to. So many times, repeated throughout history, over and over and over again, they get to a point where they just do something to get caught. Like they want to get caught. Because something inside them knows that it's wrong and there's a conscience that wants to be um, dealt with. And, and God's created that in us in that, um, that, that there's just this idea that we want to be, we want to earn it or we want to get caught. And so that kind of goes against, right? That goes against this idea of amazing grace. What do you mean all I have to do is believe? Yeah, that's all the Bible says. And we could go through. Believe, 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 believe. This theme repeated. I just get exhausted going through with you guys. All the different places where this this theme is repeated. I'll give you a couple just so that you can have the the mains. John 3.16, I already gave you one. Ephesians 2.8. Okay, girls, what's it say? Um, Ephesians 2.8 says says that I'm saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. So you're saved how? Saved how? We're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. We're not saved by works. And then he goes on to clarify for us, not by works lest any man boast. Okay? It is a gift of God. The Apostle Paul tells us that in Romans 10, 9 and 10, write that one down too, trust and believe on the Lord Jesus and you shall be saved. So you can go into your concordance. How many of you guys have, you guys got apps on your phone. I want you guys to download an app. It's called Blue Letter Bible. It's a great Bible study tool. You put it on your phone, um, Blue Letter Bible. And in Blue Letter Bible, they have this thing. It's called a concordance. And the way it works is you, you pull it up and it has a search box. And you can search the whole Bible. You can search one book of the Bible. You can search um, New Testament, Old Testament. You can search the Psalms and Proverbs. Any way you want, wherever you're looking, and you type in a word like saved, and then you hit search. And everywhere that word is used in the Bible, it will pop up that verse. 
It's a great Bible study tool when you're just kind of thinking of an idea or concept. So you can do that in the New Testament. Type in the word saved or believe. And you will find over and over and over and over and over and over again that that this concept is just repeated that salvation comes by believing. And that's it. You're saved by grace through faith in Jesus. And that not of yourselves and not of works lest any man boast. And, and, and the world just hates it. We ourselves sometimes just don't like the idea. It seems too easy. You know, the hardest thing to receive is grace gracefully. If your washing machine broke before, you, before you're on your way to church this morning and water and, and this afternoon you go home and some of your church family shows up with a brand new washing machine. All of us would be like, no, no, really, you didn't have to do that. I, I can't take it, really. Thank you, but no. None of us would be like, hey, it goes right over there. Slide it in. Take that other one with you when you go. Because, because we just naturally, we don't receive grace very well. We don't receive grace gracefully. And the whole concept is, is, is just so simple. And then, and then the other side wants to say that, you know, because the reality is, you guys, um, within the Christian faith, within the, you know, Bible-believing, born-again, that this concept is, is very unique and rare. And in every other religion, you can, you can study them all, in every other religion, you have to earn it. You know, in Islam, you, you give your life, you blow yourself up, and you kill innocent people, and that's how you please this God. You know, in, in, in so many other, in every other religion of the world, it's all works-based. It's all you do something, and then you do enough, and then, the, and then you please this God. But in Christianity, it's completely different. He's, he's already pleased with you. He's so pleased with you, he couldn't be any more pleased with you. He loves you so much that you, you can't make him any, any more happy and, and loving in your life. And so it's, it's just hard to receive that. But it's, it's what John, Grandpa John, comes back to over and over and over again. In verse 2 it says, By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and keep His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. Everybody say, not burdensome. Okay, what did Jesus say concerning this? He said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. One more time. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. So parents, you got to have this conversation with your kids. And and maybe it starts in your own hearts first. But one one of the, the foundations of our Christianity, of our faith, is that God is good. And if you don't have that as a foundation, it's hard to build upon that. And so many times with emotional-based relationships with God, and we're very careful with being too um, emotionally driven and not truth-driven. Because, you know, in that, when we're having a bad day, then God's mad at us. When we're having a great day, God's, God's happy with us. When the reality is, is that whether you're having a good day or a bad day, God, God loves you and he's, he's not mad at you. And so... The idea that God is good is a conversation, is a thing we have to tell our kids. Because for whatever reason, in young people, myself included as a young person, I always thought that, man, God didn't want me to, I couldn't do these things and go to these places because God didn't want me to have any fun. And, and, and you know, God's boring and that, that God's not fun. And I'm always constantly reminding my kids and having this conversation. And it takes a long time, but I'm telling them that that God is good and God loves you. And God has a good plan for your life. And if you'll trust him, he'll bless you. And if you'll you'll make some sacrifices now. And I want you to understand, it's not because he's not good. He's a good, good father. I love that song. I love that idea that God is good. 
And, he, and he's laid out for us some, some do's and some don'ts. Lydia and I just adopted, as you guys know, a little girl, Gabrielle. And, and you know, she's not yet, but pretty soon she's going to be walking and playing, and she's going to want to go out and play in the grass in the front yard. Well, there's a street there, and cars go by. So if I go and I build a fence around the front yard to keep her in, is that because I just don't want her to have any fun? No, it's because I don't want her to go out in the street and get hit by a car. And, 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 and you know, if, if God says, do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, is that because he doesn't want you to have any fun? He's, 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 he says, don't have sex outside of marriage. Is that because he doesn't want you to have any fun? No, there's consequences. There's a natural consequence. What happens? We get drunk. We begin, or we start drinking a little too much. And eventually you, it leads to a life of alcoholism. And then you find yourself arrested and getting drunk driving tickets. And then you, you go and you smash into a car and kill somebody. And now you're in prison. And you're saying, God, why did this happen to me? Why did you allow this? You're sovereign. You could have prevented this. Why did you allow this? And God says, dude, I put a gate around you. And I did it because I love you. I'm a good God. You kept just going out, kept going out. And every time you went out, I called you and I said, wait, you're, 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 you're making a mistake. Come home. I love you. I love you. But I'm not going to infringe on your free will. I'm going to give you a choice because in order for there to be love, there has to be a choice. And I'm not going to make you do anything against your will. But I laid it out for you. I love you. I, I gave you this parameter. You get up on this top of this two-story building and you jump off head first. When you're in the hospital in a body cast and a halo, God, why would you let me break my neck? Well, I gave you this thing called gravity and it works. And it, it's a natural law that applies. And I'm not, I wasn't mad at you, so I broke your neck. You jumped off the building and you landed on your head. And I told you not to do it and I love you. And, and so many times in life, you know, so many people, they're mad at God because God did this and God did that. And I just keep telling them, don't blame that on God. God didn't do that. God didn't have nothing to do with that. And as a good, good father, he laid out for you the way to stay away from that stuff. And he did it because his, he loves you, not because his, his commandments are burdensome. So let, let your kids know that God is good and that God has a plan for their lives. And if they'll stay obedient to that plan, that God, God will bless them. That's the other thing I always try to remind my kids in that conversation is like, I don't want to discount the reward that God's going to give them because, you know, maybe it's some sacrifices at school. You know, I wish I had the testimony that I, I lived it so I could, I could show them how I lived it. But unfortunately, I lived what not to do. When I, when I first came to know Jesus, I was in 7th and 8th grade. I grew up in a non-Christian home. I grew up with a, a single mom. My dad died when I was a year old. My, I had seven brothers and sisters. One of my brothers, um, 10 years older than me, sold drugs in my neighborhood and um, kind of followed in those footsteps. And um, in 7th and 8th grade, I had a neighbor kid who was a Christian. And he had a trampoline in his backyard. And, you know, I didn't like his do-good family and his goody-two-shoes family. But I loved hanging out in the backyard. And the kid was kind of cool. And so we, through that relationship, they, they took me on a Wednesday night to a church, my first experience in a church. And I started going for all the wrong reasons, but I went for two years to this youth group. And at the end of it, like summer between eighth and ninth grade year, the pastors who had spent two years pouring into this punk kid, terrible kid who probably, never mind. Um, I looked around, I saw young people in here. I'm like, they don't need to know this stuff. But he said, do you want to receive Jesus in your heart? And he pulled me aside. He took me out for lunch, me and another kid that had been coming. And, and he said, do you want to receive Jesus in your heart? And I said, I said, yeah, I do. And I had learned enough in that two years that, that I believed. But I can remember feeling that day. I still remember that day. I, I wanted to have fun. Ah, that God doesn't let me have any fun. And I don't want to 
give him all of it. Like, I want to hold some for myself. Just the fun part. And so I said the words, Jesus, come in my heart. Forgive me my sins. Be my Lord and Savior. I didn't get saved that day because that's not salvation. Salvation is not repeating some magical words. Salvation doesn't happen in your mouth. It happens in your heart. And, and because I didn't fully give my heart to Jesus that day and really repent of my sins, um, I, I didn't get saved. And then I can remember my first, first week, freshman year at high school, there was a Christian club on campus. And something in my mind told me, you know, I should be a, I should be a part of that club. But, nah, that's no fun. I won't have any fun if I do that. And it's just such a lie of Satan. It's such a lie of Satan. You know, and then I watched other kids who were a part of it and whose life stayed in Jesus all the way through and how quickly and how amazingly to this day God has blessed their lives. And, and you know, they, they might not have been the most popular kid in high school, but I guarantee you they are truly the most popular adults I know and the most loved and, and successful. And they're just blessed. Their lives are blessed. And I try to share that with my kids that, you know, sometimes it's difficult, but God will bless you if you stay in his will. Amen? Where are we at? Verse 3? 4. Lydia's like, we're in verse 20. <laughs> okay. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is victory that he that has overcome the world, our faith. And so there, there's a victory in your faith, you guys. There's a victory in place in your faith in Jesus. And it seems very simple, but it's, it's profound. And there's an amazing victory in being an overcomer. This is he, he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not only by water, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who bears witness because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one. And there are three that bear witness on the earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three agree as one. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he has testified in his Son. So in that section that I just read from verse 6, there's several different concepts that are going on. First one is that Jesus came in blood and water. So we know where Jesus came in blood. Where did he shed his blood? On the cross. And then water. Where did he come in water? Well, in another place in John, it says the same thing. And some people teach that the water was, he came in water, meaning that every one of us was born in water. Your, the, the, your mother's womb, the ambiotic sac or fluid is water. And you're born of water and the water, so that we're all of water. Or that it had to do with his water baptism, that he was baptized in water. Either one are fine. Um, but that Jesus, the idea is that Jesus came both in the flesh and that Jesus was fully man and fully God. And that's the important part in the context of that, of that verse. And then he goes on and he says that um, this is one of the places where we have probably the greatest kind of simplest testimony for the Trinity in that the Father and the Word, and I love how he calls Jesus the Word and, and not Jesus. The Bible says, John chapter 1, verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, it says in 14. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So where we have the Word being God. You know, we're going to get to it here in a minute too, but you know, people always say, the Bible doesn't say Jesus was God. Like you Christian, you... you you pastors, you Christian people, you Trinity people, you always have to, you know, make that up and fill that in. It's just farthest thing from the truth. We're going to get today at the end of this chapter, the most easiest, simplest thing. But over and over again, 
we, we get it here where Jesus is God. I've been preaching it for the last eight weeks. It is so important to our theology, to our faith, that we get the right Jesus. And so one of the titles and one of the names, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't write this stuff. I just, I just read the script. But Jesus is described to us as the Word. And so here, um, John, instead of saying Jesus, when he's talking about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, he says the Word. And then he says that if we receive the witness of men about the Word, about Jesus, why do we not receive the witness of God, right? So in a, in a court case, so um, who am I going to pick on today? How about Grandpa? So if, if Grandpa takes his, his little four-door, what is it, a Toyota, Honda? Little four-door Honda, and he comes to your house and he starts doing donuts in your front yard and tears your grass up, and he's hooting and hollering out the window, woohoo! And, 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 and now we've got to take him to court because we want him to pay for our grass. And, you know, Josh shows up to the court and he says, oh, he says, sorry, Grandpa, but I saw you. It was you. And the judge says, do you, do you know it was him? And Josh says, yeah, I'm sure it was him. And Grandpa says, he's a liar. He always lies. And that, now we've got a problem. Like, who's telling the truth? But, but then if everybody here starts showing up one at a time, I, I, I was there. I saw it. It was Grandpa. His window was down. He was hollering out the window as he was doing donuts eventually the witness of two or three is going to convict him, right? The world will receive that if enough of us come forward and say, I am witness that it's true. We were all there. We saw the same thing. He's guilty. He's going to pay for the lawn, whatever the consequence is going to be. And John says, why would we receive the witness of, of two or three? Or we, in a court of law, we bind people by the witness of men, but we don't believe the witness of God that he gave us, number one, in his word, about his son, and, and God spoke of his son, right? Did God not speak audibly and say, this is my beloved son? When Jesus was baptized to come out of the water, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. And, and John just makes a case that if we're going to receive the witness of men, why, you know, how much greater is the witness of God? And again, like, like I talked about in the deception part, that, 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 that don't... Um, Don't believe what men and the witness of men tell you about who Jesus is. Super important. You're going to be without excuse. And believe what Jesus said about himself. If if, if people were going out and saying that, you know, you you were telling lies about everybody and slandering, and what what would you want? What would be a courtesy that you would expect? That people would come to you and say, hey, this is what I heard you said about me. Is it true? This is what I heard you are, what you said. You'd at least want to defend yourself and say, no, I didn't say that about you. I didn't say this about that. This is what I said. This is who I am. And, and yet we want to believe everything the world says about Jesus, but not what Jesus said about Jesus. Does that make sense? All right, then we can move on. If you guys got it, I'll make the sign of the cross and we'll move on. Verse number 10, he who believes in the son of God has the witness of in himself, he who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony of God has given of his son. So this is about, you guys getting the point yet? I, I, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. This is about Jesus. It's about Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And in verse 11, and this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Verse 11, is that in Chinese? God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And everybody loves to quote that verse because it's all pretty. And then they stop right there. This is, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. There is, it says in, in Acts, there is no name under heaven by which men must be saved 
other than the name of Jesus Christ. It says that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And John is giving testimony that there is life and the life is in his son. It's in Jesus. In verse 12, it says, he who has the son has life. I just read that. That was my. Oh, see, that's John for you. I thought I just read that. It's the same, same, saying the same thing, a little different. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. I write these things that you may know that you have eternal life. And John wants us to know that we know that we know. And that that life is in who? Is in Jesus. It's in His Son. And now this is the confidence that we have in Him. That if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. Are you guys awake? Hey. What does it say? This is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked for him. So, hey, what do you guys want this morning? We've got a genie in a bottle. We're going to rub it this morning for you and let you ask for whatever you want and you're going to get it. Now, we know that's bad theology, right? That, that if, if we, we're praying for a speedboat, Lord, just give me a speedboat, please. Lord, give me a new car. Does that mean God just, just is a genie in a bottle? And, you know, some churches teach if you rub the bottle the right way and you give enough money to their church and you let them anoint your, your, your wallet with the oil that, that you've got to pay for and that you're going to get rich and happy and healthy and wealthy. And anything you ask in Jesus' name, you just have enough faith. You name it, you claim it. It's yours in Jesus' name. You know, for some of you, you might pray for a speedboat this morning or a, or a new car. And guess what? You might get it. May, may, you know, we all need cars. God, God, I don't expect all y'all to walk everywhere. Maybe it'd be better for me, but he, he lets me drive. It's okay. I can have a car. And, and there comes a time where I need a car and I pray and I say, God, I need a car. And he knows it. And it's according to his will. And he gives me what I ask for. And I should be asking and praying for those things. Maybe some of you are really living a good life and you're blessed. And he knows you need that speedboat. And when you pray and ask for it, he's going to give you the right one and bless you with it. And it's going to be a blessing in your life. But the, the idea here and what John is saying and what we know as Christian people, and it should encourage our prayer life. Because he says, whatever you ask according to my will, God, help me be a better witness today. God, help me share my faith today. God, help me be salt and light. Lord, help me love other people the way you love me. God, help, help me to be your witness. Help me to share, share the love of Jesus with this county, with this community. Lord, help me to be a light on a hill. You know, those are things according to His will because the Bible tells us that's His will. Lord, help me do all things without murmuring and complaining. Lord, help me to serve the, the, all those things that we ask according to His name. He says that He knows that God hears you, and when He hears you, He grants your petition. And, and that we ask, and as we ask and we pray according to His will, that He, he grants those things. In verse 16, And if anyone sees his brother sinning, which does not lead to death, he will ask, and he will give him life for those who commit sin, not leading to death. There is a sin, a sin leading to death. I do not say that he should pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is sin not leading to death. So, so he's talking a little kind of section. You've got to go through it a couple of times and read over it and, and kind of unpack it. But the first thing he talks about, there, there is a sin that leads to death. And, and, I, and I say that, and I'm not telling you to pray over that one or pray for that one. What, what is the one sin that God doesn't forgive? 
the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. It's called the unpardonable sin. The unpardonable sin is the one sin that will send you to hell. And for most people, you you cannot commit the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit until you die. When you die and you breathe your last and you you rejected Jesus and, and you stand before God in heaven having never received Jesus, by that point you're guilty and the, the, of the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Now, I do believe theologically that there are some people that can commit the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit while they're still alive. But nine times out of ten, I think in mo- that's a rare situation as far as I can see it experientially. But, but for, for most people, you will have the opportunity right up until your deathbed to, to, to give your life to Jesus. It's this amazing grace of God. But there comes a point where you, you, you've gone too far and you've committed the unpardonable sin. And, and for those that have committed the unpardonable sin, he says, there's no need to pray. You know, I have people ask me sometimes, um, hey, my, my cousin died. Will you pray for him? And that's hard because, you know, they, they may don't mean anything by it. Maybe they just don't understand. And, and, and I'll tell them, well, I'll, I'll pray for his family. His decision is made. His eternity is set. And the reality is, um, no matter how much I pray for him, it's not going to change his eternity, right? But while he's still alive and living, we should pray. And there's a sin that's not leading to death. And that, but the reality of praying for somebody who's already made that decision and is, and is in eternity. Now we can pray for their family, for their lost, or for their, their left behind loved ones, for the impact that it's going to have, and for people to come to Jesus through it. But the reality is there's no reason or purpose to pray for somebody who's dead. You guys remember Jerry Garcia? You know, I always tease that he's not so gratefully dead. Now, honestly, I don't know. Some of you guys just, um, Jerry Garcia was the, was the lead singer for the Grateful Dead. And he, you know, the reality is, I don't know if he's in heaven or hell. And Jerry Garcia, who, who led a life that seemingly was apart and far away from God his whole life, he could have got saved on his deathbed and gone to heaven. And and, and that amazing grace. You guys remember Jeffrey Dahmer? Anybody? Jeffrey Dahmer was that mass murderer who was cutting kids and people up keeping their body parts in his freezer and eating them when he got hungry. Went to prison and he asked Jesus in his heart in prison and got saved. He was murdered in prison. And the story goes that part of the reason why he was murdered in prison was for um, sharing his faith and that he had a true conversion and got saved. And all of you like Jonah are like, that's terrible. That guy shouldn't have got saved. He was a terrible person. He didn't deserve that. And it bugs us, right? It bugs us that Jeffrey Dahmer can get saved. Unless it's you in the line waiting for that grace, and you're like, hey, okay, I want you to forgive me, but that guy doesn't deserve it. How many of you guys remember Charlie Manson and the, the, the terrible, horrible murders that the Manson clan committed? Tex Watson, who was one of his lead executioners, Tex Watson became a, a, a Christian in prison, gave his life to Jesus. You know, and, and what about the Apostle Paul? Like, you're not, you're not mad at the Apostle Paul, right? But the Apostle Paul, maybe not in the class of Jeffrey Dahmer, but definitely Tex Watson. Apostle Paul was a murderer. And he wrote 14 books in the New Testament. And this amazing grace of God that God will extend, that blows our minds. We don't get it. John, again, in his, in his epistle, he's just reminding us it's the grace of God. And it's a matter of belief and trust on Jesus. And there are sins that God can forgive and will forgive. 
There's only one sin that he doesn't forgive, and that's the sin of the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. When you breathe your last and you've rejected this forgiveness and this grace and this option, and so many times you've told God, I don't want you to be with, I don't want to be with you. I don't want to be with you. I don't want you in my house. I don't want you. I don't want to be where you are when God finally grants that prayer request. And he says, okay, you've asked to keep me out of your life. You don't want nothing to do with me. I'm going to honor that. And you don't have to. I'm not going to force you beyond your will into heaven. I'm not going to force you beyond your will into a place where I'm going to be for all of eternity. And, and, and that's why we say God doesn't send anybody to hell. You've got to kick and scream and trample through the warm blood of Jesus to get there, the Bible says. And he's done everything in his power to keep you from it. But the unpardonable sin, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, is, is when you've rejected Jesus for the last time. And he honors your request to be separate from him for all of eternity. And so, uh, again, you know, John is just saying that to, to pray for those is... is no need in it. And then in verse 18, he says, we know that whoever is born of God does not sin. That's you guys. But he who has been born of God keeps himself and the wicked one does not touch him. We know that we are of God and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. And we know that the son of God has come and given us an understanding that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true in his son, Jesus Christ. This is true. Who is true in his son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. So verse 20, I want you guys to highlight it, underline it. It's probably the simplest um, verse to show somebody, to explain to somebody that Jesus claimed to be God. And again, people might say, Jesus never claimed to be God. The Bible never claims Jesus is God. And, and anybody who says that's never read the Bible. Because it's, 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 it's so many times throughout the Bible over and over again. I read two to you last week out of the Old Testament. And, 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 and yet, you know, the ones that are just as clear as day, they wanted to say, Jesus is God. Well, here it is. This is as clear as it gets. Let's, let's look at it. Verse number 20. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true. His Son, Jesus Christ. And then, and then he's gonna, and then he's gonna qualify who Jesus Christ is. This is who, the true God and eternal life. Is there any doubt that that verse is talking specifically about Jesus Christ? And then goes on and says, "This is the true God and eternal life." And so, again, something that is, people say, "Well, what does it matter? You know, we all love Jesus, or you say you love Jesus, but..." You know, I can't stress this enough. We've stressed it throughout this whole series. You've got to have the right Jesus. You've you got to have the right Jesus. It's, it's everything. It's crucial. The, you know, Jesus says you do err because you have not known the Holy Scriptures. In talking to a group that thought they were following God and were following God amiss. And Jesus said their problem was they didn't know the God of the Scriptures. And, and it's everything of that who Jesus is and that Jesus is God and that Jesus is salvation and eternal life. And John is really hammering this nail hard throughout this whole passage, throughout this whole chapter, that it's so important that we get the right Jesus, especially in the community we live in, when there's false Jesuses and there's false Christs and there's false understandings of who he is and what he's done. 
And in every false Christ and in every antichrist and ism and schism, there is always a diminishing of who Jesus is, is what you're going to find consistent throughout all the false religions and cults and isms and schisms, is they're going to take the place of Jesus as it says here over and over again. And specifically here in 1 John chapter 5, verse 20, that Jesus is God, and they're going to just drop him down a little bit, some a little lower, but they're going to take Jesus and they're going to diminish his position. And you can't do that. Can't not, cannot, cannot do it. Last thing, um, it says, little children, keep yourself from idols. Now we have this kind of last verse thrown in there. And in that, it seems like, and it doesn't really fit. It really doesn't fit with the progression, with the thought process. But as John's like finishing, and John doesn't mince words, Grandpa John, he tells us, little children, keep yourself from idols. Now, when you think of an idol, you might think of like this, like fat Buddha, True story. On my mom's dresser growing up. I, I almost told the story when she was here, but I thought she might get a little offended. Like, But it's true, so I'll tell the story. She can listen to the tape. You can ask any of my sisters, and I don't know what it was, but she had, and we didn't worship it or nothing, but she had a statue of Buddha, and it had, like, she kept her necklaces on it. It was green. It sat on her dresser and had a big fat belly, you know, and it was just, we didn't put fruit around it or light candles on it. We didn't worship it. And she thought it was innocent and, you know, didn't have it because of the, but she had a statue of Buddha in her, in her room. So when you, when you think of idols, when John says, keep yourself from idols, you're like, well, I don't exactly have a statue of Buddha in my room. I don't put fruit around it. I don't light candles to it. Um, You know, we don't have little wood carved images that we bow down to and those types of idols. But yet in the New Testament for us today, John makes an issue of idols. And so, you know, all the gods that those idols represented in the Old Testament, those gods are alive and served well in our, they're not alive. They're, they're alive in concept and in, but they're worshiped today in the same way, just with a different face. You know, we have, we have one enemy. He has lots of tricks, but we have Satan and he's got just a host, a scarlet thread from Genesis chapter six, the, the woman who rides the beast, the Babylonian false religious system that runs all the way through human history, that red scarlet thread until God defeats it in, in, in Revelation chapter 17. And it's a matter of idols. And yes, we don't have little carved idols that we worship, but today in the United States, in modern Christianity, there's tons of things in your life, in my life that can be an idol. And God says anything that gets in the place of God, anything you put before God in your life as Christian people. And John is not talking to unsaved people. He's not talking to people that don't have a relationship with God or that are not saved. He's talking about, he's calling you little children. He says, my little children, the ones who love Jesus, who experience this Jesus that I experience, there's going to be things in your life that are going to keep you in this relationship. They're going to cause you to struggle. Don't give yourself to those things. Jesus said that the seed that goes out Some falls by the wayside and the cares of this world chokes out its fruitfulness. Those are idols in our lives. And so John stresses at the end of this epistle to keep yourself from idols. And again, we can have lots of different things in our life that that appear to be idols. So be on your guard. It's a valid um, exhortation for you for today. Amen. Amen. Let's stand. We'll have the worship team come up and close us in a song. I think it's super important today that, that nobody leaves here without at least the opportunity to, to repent, to give your life to Jesus, to do what, what John tells us in, John, in 1 John chapter 5, that we can know that we know that we know that we have eternal life, 
That nobody should leave here today, and if you can't answer the question, if you died today, would you go to heaven? That, that, that you should be able to answer that question when you leave. Yes, because it's not a matter of what you did. It's not a matter of how you came in. It's not a matter of, of magical words in a prayer that I'm going to say right now. It's a matter of a surrender of your heart and life to Jesus. And if God spoke to you today about salvation, about relationship, about anything in his word that we studied today, and you want to give your heart and your life to Jesus, I'm going to pray for you this morning. I'm going to pray that that you would surrender your heart and life. There's no magic in, in, in the words or in the speech, but the Holy Spirit in the Bible says that God sees your heart. And so if this is you this morning, you just you say this in your heart. You, you give Him your life. You don't hold anything back like I did. You say, God, I give you all my life. And you, you agree with me in prayer together. And God will come in your heart, in your life this morning. Let's close our eyes. Let's bow our heads and let's pray together. Dear Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for this day. And Father, I, I pray for each one that's in here now. And Lord, even as um, you've called them to have eternal life, and that life is in Jesus... And the Bible says that no man comes to the Father except through Jesus. And so, Jesus, we, we need you. We believe. And, and salvation, heaven and hell, is a matter of believing in Jesus and surrendering our heart and life to him. And so, Jesus, I pray right now, if there's anybody in here this morning who wants to get saved, who wants to know that they're going to heaven, that they would just agree with me in their heart right now and pray this prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, please come into my heart. Be my Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I believe that Jesus died and rose again and lives in my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Love you guys. Let's worship the Lord and have a great day.